my whole goal was to retire. That was it. Soul focus. And then I was sitting with my buddy talking to him and he goes, my mom just quit her job. She was going to retire in a couple of years, but she said she was going to work for a few extra years and work at Starbucks because it's way more fun. And I go, whoa, I never thought of that. You mean I could like have a job and have fun? And so I changed my mindset of I need to retire to I need to enjoy life. Great businesses don't spring up out of nowhere. Building a business involves overcoming challenges, experiencing failures, large and small, and putting in the work day in and day out. Welcome to season three of the Building Bellingham podcast. I'm your host, Leo Cohen. Thank you for joining me as we dive into the story behind one of Bellingham's biggest brands. Today, we're going to sit down with Tony Moseri, and we're going to talk about what it takes to scale a business, to contract a business, to design a life where you have a good balance, truly a good balance. We talk about how investing doesn't have to be complicated. And it just takes grit, determination, and ultimately sticking with it and being willing to sacrifice in order to make it happen. We talk about Tony's schedule and how that's dramatically shifted from trying to force himself into a nine to five schedule to ultimately designing a life where he's able to freelance write, coach basketball. He's able to go and check his job sites and run an Instagram account for a yard game community. We talk about the concept of just trying things, right? A lot of people get stuck in this analysis paralysis. Tony does not get stuck in analysis paralysis. He's willing to try or is open to listen to almost any business idea. He doesn't have to necessarily know it, but he's going to dive into it and get obsessed and uh, give it his best shot. For all of you listeners out there, I know I say this every time, but I love what I do and I'm super grateful that I get to sit down with people like Tony and I know you all will really enjoy it. So kick your shoes off, crack a beer, Put your headphones in and enjoy. Tony Moseri in the Building Bellingham studio. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Leo. I'm excited to be here. For those that are listening, many people know you in the community for a variety of different reasons. But if you were to put it in a nutshell of what you do, what is it that you do? Well, mentally, what what I see myself is as someone that just loves to try whatever comes in my brain, which can drive my coworkers, spouse, daughter, friends a little crazy, but that's that's kind of what I've been doing for I mean probably my whole life, but really, you know, the last 20 years I've been pretty actively if if I have an idea, you know, see where it maybe can go. But as far as like practically what I do, it's, you know, Moseri Construction. We've been building homes locally. My dad started the business in 1974. He's still hanging around doing stuff. And then me and my brother still building houses and and doing that. We do a lot of real estate investing. It's a big part of what we do. And then I do freelance writing, right, for a lot of local publications, which we can get into that a little more if you want later. But that's been a pretty exciting thing over the last couple of years. And then random stuff. I got an Instagram page promoting yard games. My wife and I have a Instagram page posting about our travels and camping and stuff like that. And just someone that likes to do a lot of stuff. I have a lot of interests. You know, they often spiral into other things. Other things, <laughs> yeah. Many people are afraid to try things. Like there's a lot of people that have what, what we call analysis paralysis. And you probably look at them and go, well, you should just give it a shot. What was this like something that you were just born with where you're like, I'm going to try whatever comes in my mind that I think I can do? Was it a self-confidence or was it your parents saying, yeah, 
Go give it a shot. Honestly, probably ignorance, right? Like, and I think I was just born with it. It's one of those things where, you know, I've always spoke before I thought about what I was going to say, go and run into the wall before seeing that it's there. It definitely led to struggles, maybe getting in a little bit of trouble, doing things that didn't pan out. But I also think it's been one of my biggest successes. I, analysis paralysis is definitely not something I have. Probably have the opposite. Try to surround myself with people that do a little more analysis yeah. uh, so they can say, I don't know, Tony, that might not be such a good idea. And they can give me pause. Yeah, it's really, I'm I'm easily excitable. When I get into something, I dive into it. I try to learn everything I can about it try to become as much of an expert as I can and uh, run with something. And some of those somethings go somewhere and some of them go nowhere. There's thousands that nobody's ever heard of or seen or anything except for maybe my poor wife. Just ideas. Yeah. Just she ideas. hears a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's interesting because it truly is a numbers game, especially when you're, when you're creating things, but it's also a quality game. And so you've, the cool thing is the things that have come to the surface as successes for you, or you've taken over are very high quality. So tell me a little bit about like when you're focused on so many different things, but you also have these really high quality things that are working. How do you have the bandwidth to keep the quality there, but then also try things that like start out without quality, right? Because everything starts with a lack of quality until you make it quality, right? Yeah. And I tend to not want to move things forward unless I can do it in a quality way. I'd say there is definitely a lot of things that I have started just in my home office on my own that never materialize because I get into it and I say, you know, I can't deliver this in a way that I would be happy. I think the quality thing, really, I grew up in a household where my dad and my mom was going to work and building beautiful homes where the number one thing was quality. That was always the most important thing. And then I married my wife who she's you know, cut from the same mold where everything is, has to be done really, really well, or we're not doing it. So that's just really resonated with me. You know, I've had my consistent things that I've been doing for decades now. And then I have other things that have come and gone. And um, I like to think that I did all of them well. Um, I definitely, to the best of my ability. And then, yeah, there's things that nobody's ever seen because I wasn't, yeah, comfortable with what I could produce or I lost interest, which is frankly really easy for me to do. So it's know? easy for you to gain interest and lose interest pretty all quickly. the time. You like, should see my I, bookshelves. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. I buy a book on everything I get interested in. That's kind of like my test. Like if I can subscribe to a magazine on it or buy a book and like if I actually read all the book, I'm like, okay, I'm somewhat committed to this or get halfway through the book. All right, this isn't for me. Let's move on to something else. Well, this is one of the things that we've talked about here is the whole adaptive intelligence. And that's something that's really cool. I think some people see it as like ADD and others would see it as, oh no, like it's either it's following the path or it's of interest or it's of value or it's not. And so that's the way I look at it. And tell me a little bit more about your adaptability and being able to say, I'm not good at this or don't want to be good at this. And then moving on and not being too tied to the fact that something you spent energy on something. I get interested in things very easily. Like my wife and I had hair salons. She was a hairstylist by trade. We ended up buying a hair salon. So I went all in. Turned out it was super interesting. Learned a ton about it. I knew nothing about hair beforehand. You know, this learning it, getting excited about. And I guess my point there is I can get excited about almost anything. And so I think it's, we're not on this planet long enough, in my opinion. I want to explore things that I'm interested in. So I dive in and then I don't see it as a waste. I feel like I'm building these layers of knowledge. I'm getting to experience things on 
whatever level I do. Um, I do some business coaching and some real estate coaching. It's my way to, you know, help people, but also live vicariously through them and get to experience some of a business that I'll probably never explore. So I, I think that's my mentality is learning about this stuff, getting to know it. I don't see it as a waste at all. Like the more I can experience, the more I can learn, the better. I want to layers. Yeah. yeah. Like I wish I didn't have to sleep at all. You know, I want to just live as much as I possibly can. I love that. I want to take a little segue back into hair salon. So you dove into hair and, and Lindsay, your wife was, she was, she ran a hair salon and you bought the, you bought the hair salon together. A different one. Yeah. So we weren't married yet. We were in our mid twenties. Yep. Again, ignorance is bliss, right? We had tried to start a salon a little while before that space didn't plan out. The commercial real estate agent I had been talking to called me up and he goes, Tony, I got a deal for you. This salon's for sale. It's inexpensive. The woman just wants to spend more time with her family. And if you got a good arm, you could hit it with a rock from Mosseri Construction. So it was Salon Bellissima and Fair Haven. We go, all right. Borrowed the money from my brother for... I think I paid him and interest was like case of high life or something, you know, <laughs> we bought it and knew nothing. Um, my wife had done advanced training at Jean Juarez, super good stylist. Um, so you bet on her. Bet on her. Yep. She had a full clientele. We inherited a few people um, in the salon. And again, we're in our mid twenties. Didn't know much. Everything I knew about business was try. Yeah. Well, just from Mosseri construction. And I hadn't even been in the office for very long at that point. We just kind of went for us. Lindsay and I were both in school. I, I was a post back doing some psychology stuff and she was doing some business stuff and we dropped our classes and said, all right, well, I guess this is business school now. Was that, a, was that an easy decision? Did it feel easy in that moment to go, okay, I've already committed to finishing school, but in this moment, I'm like, this is the right thing. How did you decide? It was yeah, right well, we finished our courses um, and then we dropped them going into that next quarter. Yeah. I mean, I kind of thought I'm like, we didn't know if Lindsay would go back and do that anymore. You know, this was kind of owning a salon was kind of the goal. So if she's doing it, then great. I still had thought I would go back. Uh, super interested in psychology, wanted to study it more specifically sports psychology. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I didn't go do that. But so we buy the salon. Fortunately, we had a few stylists there and then Lindsay, you just add her to a, a salon and it was instantly cash flow positive, basically just from her volume. So, so that she, helped. So she's the, she's the real genius behind that. She's the genius. She had the following, she yep. had the talent. She was the reason that we knew we'd be able to make our, our rent payment and yep. buy product and all that. So about six months in, got a little bit of confidence, kind of figured out what, how we were doing things. And I kind of sat down with everybody and said how we were going to be doing things going forward. And they were all older than me. They'd all been in the salon industry a lot longer than me. And I said, all right, this is how we're doing things. Obviously with Lindsay on board, we had discussed it. And they said, well, that's not how it's done in the salon industry. And I go, I'm not from the salon industry. Yeah. They all chose to leave. Um, we brought in new people. We had hired a couple people since then. And um, so we had Salon Bellissima for a while. We ended up opening up a second salon called Caribou in kind of downtown Fairhaven. Yep. Uh, we ended up then selling Salon Bellissima. Uh, basically, somebody approached us, wanted to buy it. We, you're, you're ready? Well, we weren't ready. I said, no, why would we do that? And they said, well, you don't want two salons. And I go, I don't know. We designed them totally differently. You know, they're essentially running, you know, the ones running themselves. You know, we had a manager in place. And But I told the broker, the same broker, I said, well, but if they'll pay this, I'll sell it to them. They said, yes. So we said, yes. Salon Bellissima is still there. And then we had Caribou for a couple more years. Then the daughter came. My wife was working less. I was doing more of running a salon than probably someone that 
doesn't have any knowledge about hair should be doing. <laughs> and um, we had an awesome manager that, frankly, without her, I don't know what we would have done that first year with uh, Harper being born. And uh, we ended up selling it to her. But I loved it. I learned so much. I learned more in the first six months owning a hair salon than I did of all of college. So, so one of the cool things about you trying these things and getting obsessed, like you should, you should get obsessed with your business, obsessed with your passion is that you, you learn really fast, but then there's always like a lesson, a layer that you pull out. What was like the uh, golden ticket in your head of like what you learned in those six months, 12 months and beyond from, from just from the salon? I mean, I learned a lot about business, the financial piece. I wasn't involved with any of the bookkeeping, any of that stuff at Mosteri Construction at that time. I had a couple rentals at that point, but it was like Excel spreadsheet, shoebox full of receipt kind of scenario. Didn't really know what I was doing. And then also just like we learned a lot about promotion and social media was just getting rolling a little bit, interacting with people. I was hiring people. Uh, there were some rules that changed in the time. So getting creative on how to have these businesses make money. I could probably talk for this whole podcast about just the salon industry, what I learned. We went to Italy and went to Davines. They're a hair product company and took a tour and just learned, learned so much of just general business knowledge, I would say, and hair specific stuff. We'd be at a party and someone would ask a question about a hair product or um, balayage yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I'd chime in because I'm loud. Yeah, and like, what? They'd be like, what, why does this guy know what's going on? You know? Yeah. I'm a quick study on some level, but I don't have a very good memory. So really learning things isn't easy for me at all. I have to like do yeah. like I have all these books. I read them, forget everything I read. And then go and do it. I have to go. Yeah, go do it. But I have to like do it, talk about it, explain it, uh, live it to really learn something. So this is like your one of your first businesses at you, this time. Yeah, that was I would say that was my first official business that I that we owned and you were like, um, yeah, you and Lindsay were like, this is it. We're going to do this. We're going to take over the salon world. Or was there, was it like, this is what we're doing now. And we're flexible that if something else, some other opportunity comes up, we're ready to shift gears. What was your mindset? Like we were all in, I mean, we had a couple things. We had a lot going on at that time. No kids. Yeah. I mean, we were in our twenties, we were cranking. We were traveling as much as we could and working as much as we could. We saw each other on Sundays. Um, Cause I was working seven to five or whatever at most area construction, see her at the salons a little bit, Monday through Friday, you know, and then she's working Saturday is, you know, Tuesday through Saturday, two to seven kind of a thing. And I was coaching and um, I had a nonprofit organization called the VZ foundation. We had started, so we we're putting on these events, our plan with caribou. So we designed it very specifically. She goes, I want you to find me a white porcelain caribou head. And I want the space to look like this. And she sent me this picture of this Scandinavian salon that had, it was like super white and super dark. And in the dark area had Vogue magazine covers plastered all over the wall. Wow. That's specific. Yeah. And I go, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I called up one of my, you know, I get one of my carpenters and, uh, had him in there working. So we like designed the space. We ended up not doing anything on the wall, just super dark, super light. All the stations for the stylists were rolling toolboxes. So we could roll everything out to have events in there. And we'd throw parties and, right and do different stuff in there. And so it really became a gathering place. We had art openings, had featured artists that would rotate through. And the big plan was either to have multiple caribous, potentially a hair product line. And then there was an idea of having a, a clothing element also. 
The other idea we had that net we never really took, we didn't take anywhere was to just flip salons because it was literally you add Lindsay and boom, it's profitable. I had a good model for bringing in great people. Lindsay's no drama. People loved working with her. We were, we were going down that track and Caribou was doing awesome, but we also decided to start a family and that changes everything. Yeah. You know, the, the priorities changed instantly. Lindsay's passion for hair kind of went away. And so we moved on. And I actually uh, have a couple of times floated out the idea of buying a salon. And I've seen Again. them come up and uh, we know what to do. Lindsay's been a hard no. Um, <laughs> she's the sensible one. And without her, I got nothing. So, so we haven't. Yeah. And I don't think that we ever will. But you're still um, going to ask. Because that's your nature. Oh, it's still my, yeah. You're still going to say, still hey, I saw nature. this. It popped up. Yeah. I'm and, interested. And Lindsay now, she gets to do the, she pursued the clothing thing. So she's doing that online and she does pop-ups. Yep. And so she's still getting to pursue that part of the passion. That she, and then we put in a little space at her house and she does, she does a little bit. It's awesome. You had mentioned something about having a couple rentals right when you had started up the business. So you knew, you, you knew the basics of real estate. Either you had figured it out or you'd stumbled your way into it, just like everyone with their first real estate purchase or transaction. Tell me about your experience and why, like, why did you say I want to buy a house or houses or rentals or invest in real estate? I grew up around houses. I would skip school to go pour concrete with my dad. Our house was never finished. I didn't live <laughs> in a the classic. Contractor? That's the classic contractor. I didn't live in a completed house until I went away to college. And that was a not so great dorm, but whatever. But it was complete. It was complete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, had been complete for, it had been completed for a long time. <laughs> it had always kind of been houses is what I knew. I grew up 15. My I was going to work every summer, all summer. Did that consistently. Played Monopoly, whatever. And I was 20 or so and had moved back to Bellingham. I transferred to Western and my dad goes, oh, you know, we don't know anything except for houses. Uh, you better buy one. Yeah. And I go, okay. Yeah. This is back when, you know, banks were giving away money like candy and yeah. you know, we all know how that turned out, but I got did lucky. It, did it not turn out well? <laughs> no, there's a okay. couple of bumps. Um, <laughs> I knew how to work on the houses. I was lucky that they were rented. So, you know, that turned out okay for me, even though I wasn't always ahead on all of them for the whole time. But yeah, so bought my first place. Went in and the bank said, well, do you have a job? And I go, well, work at the Boys and Girls Club and make like $8 an hour. And they go, good enough. <laughs> Here you go. Here's your loan for a house, kid. It was rented when I bought it. Yeah. And it was basically never vacant. I had to go in and do stuff a few times. And we could sit here and talk about rental stories uh, for a long time. I've learned a lot. Wasn't all sunshine and roses, but I didn't know anything. Yeah. My dad had a couple of rentals and yeah, he said I should buy one. What did your I, first rental cost? It was $139,000 over on Ellis street. So That's right like here. an escalation minimum now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was that, a four, four yeah. bed, two bath. Say Ellis. Ellis, just right, literally yeah. right here. So that, yeah, that's uh yeah, that's a different price point now. Yeah. 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 And, um, Good timing. yeah, lucky. And you know, I don't know when rich dad, poor dad came out, but I had never read it. There was no podcast talking about real estate. I had never read a single book about it. I didn't know what a cap rate was. I didn't know anything, but I knew that my, my goal was always to retire. That's what I thought I was supposed to do was to make enough money to retire. Sole goal. That's it. From the time I was like, I don't know, 12 teacher goes, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd say retired. <laughs> and uh they're like all right this go out in the hallway you, you know at least be an astronaut Come yeah on, man. you know you know after i gave up my nba career um you said 
NBA, NBA not, was not MBA. NBA was my first plan. Yeah. When that didn't pan out, I, you know, was, was it, was it because you weren't seven feet tall? Yeah. That nowhere near that didn't help. And then probably also my skills. <laughs> um, but you know, so yeah, that didn't quite pan out. So then I'm like, well, I better just get retired then if I'm not going to get to play <laughs> basketball for a living. So my idea was, all right, I'm going to buy rental houses. And again, as I pour myself into stuff, I went to real estate school, found out what realtors have to do. <laughs> so I got a lot of respect for you guys. Um, decided not to get my license. Decided I did not want to be a realtor. But doing that was so valuable. When I do my real estate coaching, a lot of people that I talk to, I go, you know what? Take the class buy the book, whatever, the $600 you'll spend on the class will pay dividends if if you want to be a real estate investor. It's all about covering your ass, right? It's exactly. All about it. You know, and some of the stuff in that course isn't overly useful, but so much of it is. And just speaking the language. Yeah. You know, I think that's, you know, I've learned the construction language. I learned the psychology language, learning the real estate language. So when you're standing there um, or you got an offer that's sent over to you, you know what's going on. Hey everyone, it's Leo. One of our goals here at the show is to uplift awesome small businesses in our community. So every month, our team produces a local business news update where we celebrate anniversaries, announce changes and collaborations, or tell you about major business moves so you can stay in the know. It's all on social media, so be sure to follow the Building Bellingham podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So that kind of, that started my path of I want to retire. I knew nothing about the stock market. I didn't know how to write and make an app or a website or write code or anything like that. So I figured I'd buy houses and I'd rent them out. And my plan was, you know, if I could be cash flowing a couple thousand dollars a month, that'd be enough for me to live in my college house and drink with my buddies every weekend. Let's talk about cash flow because I think there's a, there's a romanticized view on cash flow. People are like, you need to be cash flowing. $2,000 per house or, it, but, but like, tell me a little bit more about like, how do you add up cash flow? Like what's the, what's your goal when you buy a rental property, breaking even a hundred bucks a month, 200 bucks a month? What is, how do you look at that? So when I first got started, my goal was to save up 25% down because I would get a break on my interest rate if I could get to 25% instead of 20. And then I wanted my rents to be $500 for every $100,000 in rent. And that's how I knew how to do it. Uh, and my goal was to make 5% on my rents and 5% on appreciation. And if I did that, I was happy. And, and really my goal was just to get the houses for free. I didn't even think about, I mean, I had no idea the market would do what it has done. Nobody obviously did. Um, and I also didn't see rents doing what they've done. They didn't, you know, they didn't grow very quickly at the start. And so I was just trying to get a free house, you know, with my, with my tenants slowly paying my mortgage. And I, and then I figured I'd do that, end up with a house. And if I could do that a few times, now I have this income coming in. And so it wasn't a get rich quick scheme. It was a, this is a process, but if I can work really hard, make money, pay down those loans that expedites the process. So you're not going out and buying crazy trucks and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff that wasting money on, you're just dumping your money into these houses. No, if you saw my truck, you'd laugh. And I pulled up here in a 1985 Westphalia that, uh, it started this morning first try. So no, it's a blessing. Yeah. yeah. So shout I shout out to the Westphalia. For yeah, exactly. Firing up this morning. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to Tim who keeps that thing on the road for me. Cause I'm not mechanically inclined. <laughs> no fancy trucks. If you, if you want to see my success, you can count it in, you know, we like to go on vacation and, uh, I buy too many yard games. Those are really expensive, aren't they? Some, you know, they're going up there. They're the, up the, there. the cost of plywood hasn't helped. Yeah. Again, we, we like to live. So traveling is a big part of, 
of what we do, but I've never been one to say I'm going to drive around in an $80,000 truck or, or whatever. Sounds like at that time, that would be pretty much a house, like half a house. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't understand what I was building at the time. It was really, this is a method. And I actually sat down, this would have been I can't quite remember the order. I guess this would have been my second house. I was in getting a loan. It was kind of an unconventional property. It was zone light industrial. So I couldn't get a conventional loan. So I was sitting there talking to the banker and I was going to have to pay a higher interest rate. And, you know, interest, I was going to be paying like 7% interest, which for everybody right now sounds like madness. Yeah. And I had just graduated from college. Like I was just about to, I was a really good saver, always lived way below my means. And so I would just hunker cash away, saving up for my next down payment always working, always had a job, two jobs in the summer. The banker goes, what do you want to be when you grow up, Tony? And I go, I think I want to be a real estate investor. And he laughed at me. He did not mean anything ill of it. Great guy, super, super great guy. Couldn't speak any higher of him. But I I was a little taken aback that he laughed at me. And again, I was, you know, 24 or whatever. So sounded like, what does this kid know? But when he laughed at me in that moment, I was like, you know what? Got a little chip on your I think I can probably pull this off. Let yeah. me let me show you. Yeah. And so I I became pretty diligent kind of moving in that that direction. You know, a lot of people, the minute that like you throw money on the fire, it accelerates them in the wrong direction or a direction. I'm not trying to tell people what direction they should be going, but you, you see a lot of people, they get a little bit of money and then like they get a little whiff. And the next thing you know, they're spending it on for lack of a better word dumb stuff. It's lack of like focus on priorities, but you, you just, part of it was the the, like ignorance, the stuff you didn't know, which was a huge blessing, not knowing and just going for it and being willing to try. But tell me a little bit more about your mindset when maybe a friend or someone you knew went out and got a new truck. What were you thinking in that moment? Like, was it just really easy? Like, nope, I'm going to just stick to my game. You can do your thing. I'll ride in your truck. We'll ride on your boat, but we're going to, I'm going to keep buying houses. Yeah. I created a rule for myself at a really young age to never get a loan on a depreciating asset. I've never broken that rule and I could, I never had enough cash to, to buy an $80,000 truck because I was always buying houses with them. You know, you see cool stuff, looks awesome, but I have always, again, I was always working towards retirement. My goal was I have to get to retirement. How old did you want to be when you retired? I wanted to retire at like 30. Part of it was like, I never really knew what I wanted to do. I had all these ideas of what what I wanted to do, but yeah, I don't think I ever, I never had like that one thing that... And it seemed like people had these things, right? They're like, this is what I'm going to do. And that was never me, right? And I was really consistent. Most area construction's rolling, always doing that, other businesses. But there was never like this one thing that I was like, that's my calling. I'm going to stand that's a label on myself. This is what this I is Tony. Do. Yeah, this I identify is Tony the astronaut. as a contractor, yeah. an astronaut, or whatever, right? Yeah. And so I think that was part of my struggle is that I always basically wanted to do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. That's kind of how my mindset had always been. Growing up, I spent a lot of time in the hallway at school because that was kind of my my attitude there too, which wasn't acceptable. So I was just so driven to get enough money to not have to go to work. I had laser beam, yeah. solar focus, like to the point where when my wife and I were first getting together, I had a condo I would bought. I was living with a buddy and I had this house on Ellis Street and something something came up. She was come over. I don't know if we'd even gone on a date yet. Maybe we'd gone on a couple dates. She shows up. She's literally walking and I go, I got to go. Emergency at a rental. And she thought I was blowing her off. She's like, well, this guy's a jerk. Yeah. You know, fortunately we knew each other. Um, we grew up 
together and um, she kind of assumed I wasn't actually a jerk, gave me another shot. She understood that at that time, that was my life. Like I couldn't afford to hire someone else to go respond to these things. If there's an emergency at a rental, I got to go. So that was, that was my thing. I was all in on laser focus, make enough money to not have to go to work. It sounded like she admired the fact or respected the fact enough to say, Hey, look, you got to do your thing. Go, go do it. Yeah. Once she realized, absolutely. She's definitely accepted me for, um, that aspect of me, uh, but she's as guilty as I am. Like these <laughs> oh, hair salons, ooh, he's gone. Yeah. These hair salons, <laughs> all these businesses, everybody goes, Oh, Tony, you're, you're so entrepreneurial doing all this stuff. Easily half of the stuff is instigated by Lindsay. Yeah. Um, she grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Uh, so she saw it. She, she gets it. She knows that when it's gotta be done, you know, she put in a, 12 hour day on Monday, you know, between working, uh, her at the coffee shop and coaching volleyball. And so that work hard, play hard mentality is definitely something that, that she and I both have. And something you guys clearly connect on. And, you know, one of the things that you and I have in common is we're, we're both ADD and we're like, Ooh, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. But then when we get laser focused on something, you can't like pull us away from it. It's done. You're like, I don't even know what's happening around me. So you got friends that are like, I've got my thing. I'm going to go be a fill in the blank. I'm going to go do this. And you're like, I just want to do whatever I can do so that I can be free. Essentially just be free. Tell me about this concept of freedom and just blocking other people out like, Hey, we're going to go out and do this. Or were you just laser focused? And we're like, I'm still going to play hard. I'm, I'm going to go hard at all times. This is the latter. So yeah. like in college, there was a time where I was working. I think I was the only roommate in school at the time. They were like all kind of working and it was just wake up at six in the morning, finish my papers. Hopefully I'm sober from the night before go to school, come back, go to work, come back. They hand me a beer when I walk through the door party time, wake up, repeat, you know, they, on the weekends, they wouldn't wake up till noon. So I had from six till noon to write my papers as a history, history degree with an English minor. So lots of, lots of reading, lots of papers. You're, you're probably using that now, right? But you're using you, the writing. You, I'm, you're writing. I am finally using the writing. I love it. Um, love and, it. and I'd yeah. say that history, what, what it did is it kind of taught me how to learn how to find information. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm not working at a museum and I'm not teaching, which is kind of what I thought I was going to be doing with it. I didn't want to miss out on, on hanging out. I would just push. And then same thing when, when we were in our twenties, Lindsay and I just, just pushed and I worked a lot of hours and, and the hard part for me. And I really just learned this semi recently is, um, as I got a little further into, into the career and moved into the office and running jobs or, and then I eventually got out of that, but I can't work around humans. I can't get anything done. I get a hundred totally distracted. So what would happen is I'd wake up, go to the office, not get anything done all day. People walk in, talk to me. I go to job sites, run around, talk to everybody, totally distracted all day, you know, maybe responded to some emails or whatever. And then I'd have to go home at night and do all my work because I literally couldn't do it. Just no focus at all when everybody's around. In the last few years, as I've been adjusting my life, adjusted it accordingly to be focused on working when I know I'm going to be efficient working mm -hmm. and not try to work when I'm going to sit there and waste hours being inefficient. I've learned my brain better now that if I sit down and can't focus, I'm not going to get focused. So go for a walk, go outside, go do something else productive 
that you can do that doesn't involve being, being having to focus on a computer screen or a book or whatever. You're, when you're in flow, being flow, exactly out of flow, go, absolutely, or, or you're flowing on something else. Like you're, yeah. you're you need some, yeah, some and so that, time. yeah, so that laser focus for me. I've always had like this laser focus on my end mission of not having to work. And I want to talk about that a little bit more because my whole mindset on that has now changed. But, you know, so that was my laser focus from the time I was a, a kid till really just a few years ago. And then otherwise it was moments of blinders. Yeah. But yeah. otherwise, no, it's someone says, I want to do this. And I say, all right, let's go. Let's yeah. do it. I'll, I'll stay up till midnight doing my work so that I can go do this with you. You know, someone wants to get coffee. I say, all right, let's, let's do it. We can find that other, that hour somewhere else. But you always still got your work done. Like the other work, you always found a way to get it done. And that's what I think. A lot of people think that the, we have this like nine to five window and it's not always that way, right? Absolutely. I knock on wood. I don't miss deadlines. You know, I am super focused on if I tell someone I'm going to do something, whether it's getting a contract to them for Mosseri Construction, getting a lease in place, a writing deadline, being at practice if I'm coaching, whatever, I'm there and I'm present. So how do you find energy? Some people are just like, they have no energy. They could not even get close to pushing them. Like, do you think some of it's grit and the other part's energy? Like, do you have to have a balance of grit and energy or is it all grit or is it all energy? I mean, I was born with a lot of energy, I think. <laughs> uh, my parents said I didn't nap. So I, I was born with energy, but I attribute a ton of it to, I get up, I get up and I exercise every morning. As I've aged, I actually take a couple rest days now. The truth comes out. The truth comes out. I yeah. take I take Tuesdays and, exposed. Thursdays, Tuesdays and Thursdays off. Um, but I still try to move, right? Um, but I get up, I work out. I don't drink coffee unless it's like I drink coffee based off of the experience. Or if I'm at a coffee shop with someone, I get a cup of coffee for camping by the fire. I'll have, you know, have a cup of coffee or whatever. But usually by the time I get into my workout, I'm ready to go for the day. You're awake. What about sleep? Yeah, I sleep from 11 to somewhere between 5 and 6.30. I've stopped setting an alarm. And you just wake up like you're on your circadian rhythm mm -hmm. and you just get up, your feet hit the ground. And do you, do you ever fight it or does it just, does you just, is your clock just ticking and going, dude, get up. Uh, Lindsay actually commented the other day. She goes, man, you slept in. It was like 6.45 or something <laughs> before I got in, uh, before I got up, you know, stuff happens. I get tired. I stay up too late. I worked out and did a pretty rad hike on Saturday. So maybe that contributed to it. Drink too much. Yeah. You know, I'm human. It's yeah. not like <laughs> I can't abuse myself, but for the most part, I wake up kind of ready to go on the weekends. Often I'll get up and just read or write, get my workout in a little bit later, especially if I'm going to go outside. Yeah. For the most part, it's pretty consistent. Yep. And I think the exercise, but also I'm easily excitable. You're stoked that the day is happening. I'm, I'm, I have stuff I want to do every day. And so if I'm excited about what I'm going to be doing, then it's easy. There's not enough time. You're telling me that you can design your day so that you're excited about it every day. Yep. I can design my day so I'm excited about it every day. Construction is traditionally a 8 to 4.30, Monday through Friday. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's when we work. There's a lot of logic to it for being out in the field, have everybody on the same schedule, you know, some companies work four tens. Um, we don't, one neighbors don't want us there too early or too late. And also we want to be there when the subs are on site. So we've been very consistent with that schedule. As I said earlier, that, that was always a real struggle for me because I was so inefficient during a lot of those hours because humans were around. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> That's the reality of it. <laughs> and so I struggled for it. And it was not socially acceptable to operate differently uh, within our company. The culture was, this is how it's always been done. This is when you work. This is what happens. And said, okay, that's what I'll do. You know, it was really hard for me. Um, and I, I had set myself up to work remotely and I was super excited when I did so. Finally got, you know, a server already, got my surface. I can work from anywhere. I can travel, work. When I go on vacation, I work all the time too. I love it. I, I like to be able to, I was set up to do this, super excited that this was going to be my opportunity to design my life and and work when I could work best and not socially acceptable. Did not go over well with, with the team that was in place at that time. Said, okay, you know, didn't want to buck the system, kept operating how I was, kind of changed the company. The yeah. company had had quite a bit of change. You had scaled it pretty We had large. scaled it. We were up to like 40 people. Where was it before you had scaled it? 20. It had always been so right around 20 people. We doubled in size. Um, we had we had grown to 20, you know, high 20s in the 2008, 9 timeframe uh, when the bottom would never fall out and money just fell from trees and we're turning away giant, great projects. And, you know, everybody knows what happened. Bottom fell out. We got chopped by two thirds, but then grew it back up. And yeah, got up to 40 people, added some different divisions, landscaping, excavation, design, really big crew out in the field. What would you say were some of the biggest pros of having a bigger business and were some of the cons? I, I liked having the crew. I love the team. I really, really like that aspect of business. Uh, it's it's my favorite part actually is is building that team and 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 having that that piece that and I guess the creativity that kind of comes along with that growth. Mm -hmm. So I really, really liked that aspect of it. Other than that, it was all superficial ego, make more money. I am super competitive, hate to lose more than I like to win. So it was, all right, if I don't do this project, somebody else is, that's me losing. Have to win this project, have to win this project, have to do it. More people, more projects, let's grow, let's conquer the world. We got to build some awesome houses for some awesome people, got to have great people on the team. Uh, but from a stress standpoint, from a quality of life standpoint, it wasn't great. And my role had transitioned from let's all get together and have a good time, going out on job sites, seeing cool stuff meeting with new customers, finding new innovative things we can do or growing a little bit to putting out fires. That was it. When you're that big, there's going to be problems. And Tony was the guy to solve that problem. So what was the, what was the tipping point for you where you said, no, this is like, I'm not doing this this way anymore. My brother is one of those very logical, realistic people I surround myself with. He never wanted the company to be the size that it was. When we were growing up, it was that 18 to 20 range building cool houses, doing cool stuff. He always wanted to be that around that size. He's super hands-on. He wants to have the space in his day. Which is like the 20. Yeah, around 20, 20 people. people. He wants to be able to go out and physically swing the hammer if he wants. Yeah. And we had gotten to the point it wasn't possible. He was managing like 10 jobs. You know, we were talking and this is crazy, Tony. Why are we, are we doing this for money? Well, yeah, I guess so. Don't we want to make more money? He goes, well, I don't care if we make more money. I don't care if we make way less money. Well, that's a novel idea. I never thought <laughs> of that. And my dad uh, at that point wasn't, he never wanted to be that big. It was never his aspirations. I was definitely the driving force behind that and really was my competitive nature. So we said, okay, well, maybe we, we shrink this thing a little bit. And we had multiple project managers and, and, and that time we had about five full-time project managers, four or five, and just cranking and 
project manager assistants and a lot of overhead. Uh, my dad always equates it to like an air traffic controller trying to land all the planes at the same time. Yep. I always equate it to like this giant dinosaur you got to keep fed. And so my my brother was like, you know what? Let's let's scale things back. Let's do more of our own stuff. We have prop projects that we've been talking about doing property to to build a house on, or you know, we like flipping old houses. We find the worst house in Bellingham and we'll make it gorgeous and you know, getting people in a great home. He goes, let's do more of that. And so we just, it was real slow. We did it through people kind of naturally leaving, you know, moving on to the work at the parks department or being inspector at the city or COVID hits and someone says, all right, I'm moving back to Connecticut, you know, or whatever. And so it it happened very naturally and and over a few year period of time where we just slowly shrunk down to the size that we're at now, which is where we want to be. In that process, when your business is bigger, when you're feeding the dinosaur, right? You're feeding people to a dinosaur. No, I'm just kidding. But you're you're essentially <laughs> I <I've> seen myself. <laughs> so you're you're like you're feeding the machine, right? Inevitably, like there's a certain tipping point where you go from working with just people that fit the mold of who you want to work with, like just good, all around good people to more people that are, you know, hypothetically have enough money to afford a beautiful home that you guys build. Tell me about like your interaction with customers because you're, you're super easy to get along with, but when you're in the business mode, you have to get things done and things have to move smoothly and there has to be a mutual respect. So that mutual respect for me is the single-handedly the biggest thing. I have had the foresight a few times, pass on projects because I didn't think we were going to get the mutual respect. Some people were very clear up front. Other people have tricked me. I've gotten into very uncomfortable, awkward positions with, with homeowners. And, and most of the time they're respectful to me. Um, I've had a few that have not been, but usually they are respectful to me, but I've had it where they weren't respectful to my project managers or some of the crew. I had to tell them that, you know, that's not okay. You know, I don't, I don't care if their last name isn't Moseri. I don't care if they don't have as much money as you or whatever. We're not doing that. You know, that can cost you money. It can cost you jobs. We've had our bumps in the road for sure. You can't make everybody happy. Um, Really? Yeah. We tried. Trust me. We, we made it a personal mission to make every customer happy to the, the detriment, in in my opinion, of my own health. I, I internalized that blood pressure through the roof, stressed out. We are now, we're really selective in I love houses. I love property. It's one of my passions that I've had since day one because I grew up just living it. The smell of that Doug fur in oh, a in a yeah. in a fresh you know in a in a framed up house is just there's nothing better, right? And so being around that, I love houses, but I only want to do it for people that are gonna respect you know definitely me, but but my team more importantly. Yeah, we want to build cool stuff. Yeah. Super fun. What's um, what would you describe as like a like a cool? What would you describe as cool stuff? What's so cool, cool for me is something that's unique that I haven't gotten to do much of. Attaching a house to a a rock, right? And you know the engineer gives you this this recipe of you're gonna bore in and you're gonna uh, physically attach this house to this piece of chuckanut sandstone. And I did the math; it's gonna stay there, nothing to worry about. And we go, all right, we believe you, engineer. We're gonna attach this house to the rock, right? <laughs> like like that's cool. Things like that. We've done so many different things, but architecturally different stuff. Somebody once told me that the reason that people like working with most area construction is because we give them the opportunity to do what they love to do. We just put in this awesome landscape waterfall 
Uh, we have Chad is just incredible landscaper that works with us. And I don't know how to do that. Right. Like I grew up around wood and frankly, even that I'm, I'm really low on the skill level compared to, to anybody else on our team. Right. But, you know, getting to, to see him build this thing that I don't know how to do it is really cool. But for me, the most important thing though, is working with people are going to have that mutual respect. They're kind. So at this point, you know, the economy is great. Everybody's calling, wanting us to do stuff. And and so now it's really a discussion of what do you want to do? And is this a good fit for both of us? Is this going to be a successful project as opposed to my mindset used to be phone rang, have to do the job. Doesn't matter if they like me. Doesn't matter if I like them. Let's do it. Yeah. We're building it because if I don't, I'm losing. Well, and it's, it's interesting. I like what you said about kind kindness. And I think that, you know, we talk about business, we talk about all these like robust terms, you know, like just winning and got to, you know, beat out my competition. And kindness is really important. And you can be wealthy and kind, and you can be not wealthy and kind. Like it, kindness is, go, it goes such a long way in business. I mean, you're a kind guy. How does that work? I mean, it's not always about money. It's not always about winning. It's about finding the right fit and treating people right. For a lot of the time, it was about winning and money, right? And and always trying to, I, my nature is to be kind, but I'm also super competitive. I hate to lose and I take things very personally. There's absolutely been times where I probably haven't been kind, whether I'm standing up for myself or someone else. Often it's for someone else because I really dislike bullies. This whole kindness thing, I feel like this term has really caught on in the last few years. And where I saw it first is at my daughter's elementary school. You know, it's like everywhere. It's like make kindness normal. I'm like, wasn't that a great thing to be teaching children? <laughs> you know, how, why isn't this plastered everywhere? Teach this to clients. Teach yeah. this to, yeah. And other people in my industry. Everybody, and, you know, right? Like everyone. let's be kind to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we have been really fortunate to have very kind. I mean, a lot of our customers have been kind and generous. And my dad just finished a project for someone that we built him a house 20 years ago down by Deception Pass, wanted to downsize. So we designed and built him a second house and we've done some other projects with him over the years. And the kindness that some of these customers have shown us has been unbelievable. In 2010, when we were just donezo, right? Like cut by two thirds, trying to keep everybody working nobody's making any money trying to make sure that not cutting health insurance, paying all of our employees, never missing a payday. We sent out this flyer, you know, I print up a flyer and we send it to everybody that we had ever worked for. Be like, do you need any of these things done? It's like cleaning gutters, you know, yeah. anything, anything to keep our crew working. And, you know, these previous customers in act of kindness came out of the woodwork and they go, ah, our kitchen's a little outdated. Why don't you guys remodel our kitchen? They didn't need a new kitchen. And so we have seen kindness in space and we've tried to pay that forward onto our, our team and into the community, you know, but no, I mean, it's so underrated, right? You walk at the news and you do whatever, and it's just so little kind of, and that's why I like coaching. I used to be on these boards, a bunch of adults sitting around talking about all the great things we're going to do. Uh, I mean, it's great. We need boards figuring out all and these chairs. great things. And, and yeah, and all, yeah, we, yeah, all this stuff. Right. And <laughs> I, when my daughter was born, I kind of bowed out of all that stuff and I go, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to go coach. I'm going to go hang out with kids. I'm going to talk to them like they're humans, be kind to them. That's how I'm going to give back. And I think showing that kindness, things like that are really discounted in our society right now. We're so caught up in, um, and we're going to do a bunch of it after this, right? We're going to post to Instagram and say, oh, we just did this awesome podcast. Yeah. But, you know, we're also caught up in all that stuff, right? That 
you know, doing a simple act of kindness to me is, is super underrated. And it doesn't have to be something huge. It can be something really simple that can really pivot someone's yeah, mindset just, or their attitude. Or, yeah. Asking yeah. them how their day was or taking the time to listen or by the way, how's your, how's your day going? Yeah. My day's going on here. Yeah. So obviously great. <laughs> Let's shift a little bit back to life by design. Yep. We've talked about some examples of IQ and like you and I learn, I think very much the mm -hmm. same. And then there's EQ, right? We've got this emotional intelligence, how you treat people, how you interact with people and this adaptive intelligence. That's like a new thing that people didn't know was a thing before. Tell me a little, like, what do you think is the most important of those in types of intelligence? Are they all important? Well, I think they're all important for society. I was actually just on a coaching call asked a business coaching call with someone yesterday and he was like i wish my genetics were better i wish i was born smarter i go yeah you know we need people that are physically born brilliant to get us to mars right but we also need people that are creative and to me creativity is the most important thing i think that's what makes us human is is creativity and so creativity is my is where I put the most value on intelligence. And I think to design this life that I have, it has been through creativity. It's up at three in the morning, can't sleep, laying there, thinking through problems, thinking about different strategies, being creative about how I can make a certain piece of property work or change most area construction or start a different business or whatever. I think that creativity and then also being creative about how I manage my time. I wrote a blog post about this, you know, while the world sleeps. And and that's when I get a ton of my work done is while the world's sleeping. So people get emails from me early in the morning and late at night and less during the middle of the day. Please respond immediately. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and, and that's an interesting topic too, the, the, the whole topic of writing. Okay. So we talked about you writing papers in history, uh, your history major, fast forward, you're freelancing. I see it pop up on, on LinkedIn. I see them published in, in, in local publications. How did that happen? I took a creative writing course. I want to get part of, you know, checking off the credits box. Yeah. And at one point I went to my dad, I, go, I think I want to be a writer. He goes, that's great. Why don't you, you know, don't quit your day job just yet. <laughs> I go, okay. I had like tried writing books before and, and I still try doing that, but my attention span sometimes wanes so far always has. I had a blog I was writing. What was it about? Started off as the working dad. And then I changed it. It's just mine. And my friend called it like, I don't know, the wandering thoughts of Tony Mosseri or something. They're kind of <laughs> like, you know, it, it's basically yeah. like business self-improvement type stuff for the most part. Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to write one about this, uh, this experience also. Right on. So it'll be on TonyMosseri.com and I'll write, you know, about getting to do this. And so I was writing that and the owner of Southside Living approached me and he goes, Hey, you want to write something for the art, for the the magazine. And I go, I guess so. Like what? <laughs> you know? And he goes, Oh, I don't know. Let's chat about it. And a few months went by and he goes, are you ever going to send me anything? I go, well, I don't know what to send you. He goes, well, I could just publish your blog post." And first thing I was like, I was like, you read those. And then I go, sure. So that was January of 2020. Yep. First, first issue published in that. And I was like, well, this is cool. Sending, I sent a copy to my high school English teacher who <laughs> Wasn't sure I was going to stay out of jail. Lalani Pitts, best teacher on the planet. And she blown away that someone had published my writing. I could barely read when I got to her, you know? And so a few months went by and COVID hits and I'm sitting there bored. Governor says I can't leave the house. And uh, I found an old listing for Wacom Talk looking for 
of freelance writers from September of 2019. So I write up, you know, what do you love about Whatcom County? I send it over to Stacy and she responds. She goes, very nice writing. Do you know we're in the middle of a pandemic? We're not adding writers right now. And I go, oh, I go, what if I write for free? She goes, you want to write for free? I'm like, shocked anybody would want to pay me anyways. <laughs> and um, so I wrote a free article on my friend's coffee shop. She goes, you're in. And I go, what? She goes, yep, you're hired. And I've been writing a couple for her. And then really that just gave me the confidence, you know, and then I wrote a blog post. They can't say yes if you don't ask. So I just keep asking to date sunset magazine has not said yes, but if anybody there's listening, I'd love to write something for you. They're actually one of our core listeners good, uh, good, you know, yeah. for you at sunset. Uh, this is a shameless plug. <laughs> Tony will be in your magazine next. Yeah. So, but I keep, you know, I'm in Mount Baker experience and, and I keep a business pulse regularly now. And yep. I've done some blog writing for some other businesses and it's super fun, real yep. therapeutic. I do it early in the morning or late at night or on an airplane or whatever. And when you're inspired, when you're I in love flow. it. Yeah. When I'm in flow, you can't stop you yeah. in flow it's and really interesting concept. You, you have been trading your time or you have been getting more efficient at trading your time for money or things that you want or experiences. And you have this moment where they're like, well, normally we pay someone to do this. And you're like, no, like what, how do you, how did you in that moment go, no, I'm going to trade my time for this experience, this exposure, this, whatever it was for you. My whole goal was to retire. That was it. Soul focus. And then I was sitting with my buddy talking to him and he goes, my mom just quit her job. She was going to retire in a couple of years, but she said she was going to work for a few extra years and work at Starbucks because it's way more fun. And I go, whoa, I never thought of that. You mean I could like have a job and have fun? And this was before we'd shrunk Mosseri Construction and done any of that. And, and so I changed my mindset of I need to retire to I need to enjoy life. And to me, the biggest thing was flexibility, yep. creating this flexibility to be able to do what I want and to be, cause I love to work. I love having projects. I love doing stuff, but I want to be able to do them when I want to do them. I might write an article and I might not make much money, but who the heck cares? Because a, I'm still blown away. Someone's letting me do this. Often I'm getting to interview awesome people for the articles or I'm getting to go do something awesome for the article. And so I stopped worrying about the numbers and started just focusing on doing stuff I, I want to do. And my grandpa, who was a brilliant man, you know, we didn't have too many talks, but at one point he goes, Tony, just do what you love and the money will come. And I didn't hear him at all. Um, but I remembered it, you know, decades like I, later. The more I swing a hammer, the more the money will come. Yeah. 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 And, um, and obviously the fact that Lindsay and I have had successes in businesses and real estate helps that, that we, we have some, cash flowing properties. And, and that is all adds to the ability to, you know, have this flexibility. You know, I, it really is a different mindset that I'm no, I'm not working towards some X amount of wealth. I need so much money. I need to be able to afford that truck or house or whatever. Uh, I want the time. I want to be able to drop my daughter off at school. I want to be able to coach. I want to be able to hang out with people like you play yard games, go on a hike, whatever i want to be able to do it that's the most important thing right i think snoop dogg says in a commercial you know if, if time is money then shouldn't we think more about how we're spending it yeah i love it yard games yard games all right let's let's wrap it up with yard games i think that you know we all love them there's lots of them out there there's a lot more than i ever knew just by following your page and follow uh, yard game nation on instagram <laughs> and right. see t i mean tony's <laughs> product reviews are awesome tell me a little bit more about yard games and creating that and like 
exploring the millions of different games that are out there. Yeah. So I'm super competitive. We talked about that. Really? I didn't hear. Okay. Yeah. You're, okay. yeah. And Noted. so I love competing uh, at, at anything. So game room games, foosball, you know, the yard games. One thing I love is their portability. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing is they're so creative, right? Most of them come out of somebody in their garage fiddling around or a bunch of buddies in the backyard. They come up with this idea. They start throwing a Frisbee at a garbage can. And next thing you know, can jams born, right? Great game, great game, game, you know, you know, or someone can't throw a beanbag far enough to play cornhole, you know, on top ball toss is born. Right. And so there's like all these different things that are created. And so I love that entrepreneurial spirit that goes along with yard games. And that's really that. And and just physically playing them is where it kind of started. And so I had what I thought was a lot of yard games. You know, I probably had 20 yard games, which is more than most humans what do you have. Think the right? average number of yard games that someone owns, like three? Probably, yeah, probably two or three, right? Yeah, they got like media, probably cornhole. Cornhole and plus one, right? They and got, maybe some Polish golf, you know? Like yeah. The, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Do you know where the name Polish golf came from? No, no idea. Not Polish at all. It's because of the pole. Oh, that it's on. I just learned that <laughs> I'm, so... I'm working on my website and I'm doing research on all the these different know. games. The more you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so that's what got me into it. And so I just like posted, I start, I'm like, I'm going to start this thing. Lindsay, will you make me a logo? And, uh, and so you got, you got to see the logo. It's very patriotic. And we, uh, I just started an Instagram page and just started posting pictures of yard games start getting followers and people going, Hey, can I send you a game? I have like 15 followers at the time. I still don't have very many. I got like a few hundred. Right. But turns out there's this yard game community and it is a community of the nicest people (laughs) ever. All they want to do is play games and drink beer. They're all just great. So like I made all these friends through COVID friends in quotes. We've like played virtual games with each other, like competing. We got the same game and I was in like giant pong basketball tournament, 60 second challenge. And it spiraled into, I was on a yard game podcast. I'm now I'm working on a website, which is going to have I mean, right now my list is around a hundred games that are going to be on there. Um, I own about 60 of them and I know, I know some of them you can't even find. Right. Uh, So I'm going to have to build them or whatever. They're a theory. They're a theory or they're outdated or whatever, but, uh, and I'm going to launch the website, I think before I have all of them on there, but I'm starting with the most popular and then we'll, and then eventually video and you know, who knows this is my, this is going to be, I want a yard game museum. And then my daughter's going to have to deal with it all, you know? (laughs) So it's really, it's just, it's so positive. It's so fun. It gets people together outside, moving, playing. Anyone can do it. Yeah. The creativity, the innovation. So I just love it. And so, yeah, I post, I'm not very consistent on social media. I'm sporadic. I'm like, all right, I'm going to post a bunch and I'll like post a little bit and I'll do a YouTube video but I'm trying to be more consistent just because I want to share all these games with everybody. And these people are working hard. There's not a lot of yard money in yard games for most people. So it's passion it's, projects. It's all passion. It's all passion. And yeah. so to give, give them some free press, I will never like knock off a game. If I see a game that's some dowels and a block of wood that someone came up with a new innovative way to play it, I'm not creating my own. I buy it from them. I don't care what the number is. They worked hard. They're working hard. We got to give them props. Got to support them. Yeah. It's just all about fun. Right on. Uh, you do a lot of different things, but one thing that I think every that makes it all cohesive is just like this whole, like the laser focus, even if it seems like distraction and like a bunch of stuff going on, there's so much rooted around living a good life. And I admire the hell out of you for that. And I think other people 
that are wanting to be entrepreneurs are trying to figure out like, how much do I grind and how much do I live my life? What's kind of like your final sentiment for the person that's maybe just like you? I think the first thing is to be very intentional about doing what you say you're going to do. If I tell someone I'm going to do something, I, I work really hard to follow through, even if I regret agreeing to it at some point. I think the power of no is super underrated. Learned that a few years ago. And so it is hard being an entrepreneurial, you know, being entrepreneurial, it's, it's not all cocktail parties and coffee appointments, right? It's tons of time on your own, grinding it out, staring at a computer screen, late nights, early mornings, up all night, worrying about stuff. I couldn't do any, I couldn't live any other way. It's just how I'm wired. Uh, sometimes I'm envious of people that, that aren't wired like that. Cause it, you know, sometimes it is exhausting, but I also love it. And so for me, it's, it's following through on what you're going to say, and I also think it's okay to try something and then not do it. You know, there's this sentiment of, oh, you can't quit. And like I say, I'm a firm believer on finishing what you start. You know, if our daughter starts a sports season, she's finishing it. Even if she doesn't like it, you know, you committed in the moment of something. I think you got to give it your all and do it. But if then you realize that's not for you, I think it's okay to say, oh, you're, I'm going to do something else, right? We only have so much time and Find that, find that stuff, do it for as long as it's enjoyable. And, and you may do it for your whole life or you may do it for a period of time. You know, do your best at it while you're doing it. Tony, thank you. We appreciate you for coming in and sharing your story. And boom, season three, episode one, two, three, Seven, I think. Seven, is that right? You said seven. Okay, all right. I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with what I said I was <laughs> going to stick with. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Building Bellingham podcast. Connect with Tony on LinkedIn or at TonyMasseri.com or MosseriConstruction.com or on Instagram at at Tony Masseri, at MosseriConstruction or at Yard Game Nation. Building Bellingham is a community podcast exploring leadership, challenges, failure, and mindset with entrepreneurs right here in Whatcom County, Washington. You can catch recorded episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Be the first to hear about upcoming guests on the Building Bellingham Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as the Building Bellingham YouTube channel. This episode was produced and edited by Tiffany Holden. Our videography is done by Cooper Hansley. Social media and community support is by Taylor Beal. To learn more about the team behind the podcast, check out our website at www.livebellinghamnow.com or search Cohen Group NW on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. From the whole Building Bellingham podcast team, thank you for listening.